Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. At the request of the Utah Legislature, the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, with the assistance of a 37-person technical advisory committee, has prepared a Utah roadmap to help legislators make policy to improve air quality and address causes and impacts of a changing climate. Today on the program, we're asking legislators and others how the roadmap is being implemented this legislative session. Later in the program, we'll be uh, talking with Thomas Holst, Senior Energy Analyst with the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, and Josh Kraft, Government and Corporate Relations Manager with Utah Clean Energy. We'll begin with conversations I recorded on Friday with two legislators. Each of these gentlemen uh, is a co-chair of the Clean Air Caucus. We'll begin talking with Representative Stephen Handy, rep, uh, Republican from Layton, and then we'll talk with Representative Joel Briscoe, Democrat from Salt Lake City. This part of the program today, we're uh, talking with Representative Stephen Handy, Republican from uh, Layton, and a, I believe Representative uh, still a co-chair of the Clean Air Caucus. Yeah, that's exactly right. We have, uh, there are, uh, we, we, you know, there are, multiple co-chairs, two senators and five or six House reps. But yes, it's very exciting. I've been involved in this for, for a long time. Well, we want to talk a bit about that. Uh, so uh, what legislation will you be running, or are you aware of legislation be running uh, on clean air this session? Yeah, I have a couple of, I have a couple of interesting things. Uh, number one, uh, a year ago, uh, after the legislature had appropriated uh, some money to have the Kim Gardner Institute at uh, the University of Utah study uh, these clean air, these air quality issues, and uh, climate change, frankly, they came back with something called the Utah Roadmap, and there are now about nine mileposts in there, and I have three bills connected to those mileposts. Number one, there are some emissions targets, and I have a resolution uh, that lays out the history and urging the adoption and, uh, you know, not from, from business and individuals and everyone to to be uh, working in concert to achieve these uh, these uh, air quality reductions uh, by 2030 and by 2050. There's some benchmarks. So I have that. The other thing I have is that the Utah Roadmap called for is the uh, uh, establishment of a world-class, really premier air quality lab. And our Division of Air Quality does a tremendous job, but there are some gaps that they they don't know. Air quality is very technical and very tricky. And so, in fact, I just was in a meeting a minute ago talking about uh, how we how we do this. So I have a bill on a feasibility study to do that. Another bill that's air quality related, if I can just say one more, and that is that uh, our uh, the state of Utah has about 3,500 buildings in the state, including those on our uh, higher education campuses. But our Division of Construction and Facilities Management doesn't have a real good handle on uh, the efficiency of those buildings. So this bill calls for a year-long study to provide basically utility information to the division that they can have a handle and look at all these buildings. It kind of goes to basically, Tom, the, the old adage, you know, that... Uh, you can't manage what you can't measure. So those are three things that I'm doing, but I know some other things as well. Uh, yes, uh, if you're aware of some other legislation, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, one of the other things is a, is a, a we, we can also do what's called a request for appropriation. I'm working with Salt Lake County. They're, they're wanting to put some air monitors on some of UTA's electric buses and run them for a year and kind of get a, get, a, get a data point of how that's... Uh, of how that's that that's working. So 
that's uh, that's another one that I know about that in fact that I'm I'm involved in. Uh, I want to have you talk a little bit about the roadmap. Um, is of course I was commissioned by the legislature. Now you have a back. Um, do you do you feel confident that if the legislature follows that roadmap that we'll uh, we'll get where we want to go with regard to clean air? Not necessarily. <laughs> everything is everything is open to discussion. Everything is open to um, you know uh, uh, negotiation. That they had about six months. They had thirty-seven real technical experts from uh, that involved in this, and there had been some concerns that not enough uh, folks were involved from rural Utah in providing input. But uh, they uh, they worked for six months and provided the document, and so there's a lot to talk about. But it's a really really good starting place to kind of hopefully unify and uh, and bring and bring bring folks together. No, we have to let you go here soon. I want to uh, just. Uh have you talked briefly about climate change? Uh, of course, clean air, kind of a subset of uh, the environment. Uh, climate change takes it out to, you know, the, the macro level. Um, what What's the role of government, do you think? Well, I think the role of government is, is, to, is to acknowledge there are certainly uh, those uh, skeptics here in the Utah legislature. Uh, all I can, I don't need any scientists to tell me that in the course of my lifetime, the climate has changed. <laughs> you know, it's a, where, where's our snow this year? Uh, we're in the, we're in the midst of a multiple year drought and uh, our, certainly our summers are hotter. Uh, and we have um, uh, uh, these, these terrible wildfires that rage throughout our state. And, uh, but I think there are those, there are still, you know, there's still, still a fair number of skeptics uh, and uh, the government's proper role is, is yet to be determined. But I think government's proper role, to me, from my standpoint, is really to set the, set the, provide a vision. Uh, and and uh, you know we're in the midst of a really interesting, wonderful time, the uh, revolution of a clean, clean, clean energy economy. And as that accelerates, uh, and it has it that, that will create economic opportunities, jobs. Wonderful new 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 changes, and I think everyone has to be for decarbonization. Uh, fossil fuels certainly have their role, and will continue to have their role for many many years. But uh, we can transition, and we can do it in a smart and market based way. Well, we've been talking with Representative Stephen Handy, a Republican from uh, uh, Layton. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. I've enjoyed it very much, Tom. All the best to you. Thank okay, you. Okay, thank you, and bye now. We're talking now with uh, Representative Gerald Briscoe, Democrat from Salt Lake City, and a co-chair of the Clean Air Caucus. We want to talk about the uh, Gardner Institute roadmap and uh, clean air and climate change. Uh, so I want to start with legislation. Are you running legislation this uh, session uh, dealing with climate change or clean air? I am. Uh, just got numbered yesterday, House Bill 263, Utah Clean Energy Fund. Would create a, a state would create a 501c3 nonprofit, which would uh, accept funds for investing. Uh, most, an awful lot of clean energy programs end up being paid for by the government. Uh, we're trying a new tack that's worked in some other states, in which people uh, invest in clean energy. Um, uh, the governor would appoint seven members to uh, uh, the board of the Utah Clean Energy Fund who would look for good investment opportunities. And money, uh, people would put money into 
the fund, knowing that they're going to get a small return, it's not going to look like the stock market, but it should be better than a savings account. And money will be lent to people for projects, for renewable energy, for renewable agriculture, clean agriculture, for energy efficiency projects. And uh, there are about 15 states that have done versions of this, and others like Utah are looking at it. Are there other initiatives that you uh, think maybe you've seen, maybe should come to Utah, or other proposals that you've seen that you uh, are ready to support? I think the first milepost of the Utah roadmap uh, is maybe one of the most important. Um, Our current renewable portfolio energy standards call for 20% of our energy to be from renewable sources and is voluntary where uh, numerous states have 100% renewable energy plans and others have 80. The milepost one suggests that we have a goal of having 80% of our energy from our electrical supply coming from renewable sources by 2050 and reducing our uh, uh, criteria air pollutants by 50% by 2050. I know that Representative Handy's got a resolution talking about um, setting some more energetic standards on that on that end. If we don't have a goal in mind, then why should we work so hard to adopt EVs or do any of these other items? If, if our goal is just, are we driving EVs because it's fun? Or are we trying to uh, make a shift away from fossil fuels because we believe it's necessary and helpful? And I think if the state had a strong goal, it would help drive um, other policy choices and investments. I want to have you talk just a little bit about the, you made reference to this, the Gardner Policy Institute's uh, roadmap. This was commissioned by the legislature, the assistance of a technical advisory committee. Uh, You made reference to the first, uh, you know, the first uh, post, you might call it, on, on the roadmap. Uh, is uh-huh. this is this going to be guidance for the legislature over several sessions? What uh, how are you, how are the how is the legislature going to use this? Well, I hope the guy, the legislature is going to use this. I mean, that was the uh, I attended several of the technical committee meetings and followed that last year very closely. And their goal was to uh, it's a roadmap. It's uh, it's a map about how to proceed. And there were seven or eight items in there. Uh, Representative Handy's also running information, a uh, resolution, or uh, or legislation on establishing a um, research institution to research greenhouse gas uh, air quality issues. Um, we've done a lot of that research in Utah. This might help localize it or attract some grants and funding for research. So. You know, if the if the legislature does not use the Utah roadmap as a guideline or a frame for how to look at issues, then um, they need some outside help, and uh, we need uh, the public to tell them this is what they should be doing. Uh, anything else you'd like to say at this point about uh, climate change, uh, clean air, specifically as it relates to what's going on in the legislature? There's discussion that uh, there's discussion about merging the Department of Environmental Quality, which includes the Department of Air Quality, merging it with the Department of Natural Resources. That would be a big mistake. Uh, it's worse than mis- mixing a- apples and oranges. Um, some 
it would be putting people with different regulatory and non-regulatory functions together in the same place. Um, I hope that um, the governor can be dissuaded from that plan. Uh, we need DEQ to be able to complete its mission of helping Utah achieve clean air and clean up water um, unimpeded. Well, uh, we're out of time for this conversation anyway. Uh, Representative Joel Briscoe, Democrat from uh, Salt Lake City and a uh, co-chair of the Clean Air Caucus. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time with us. You bet. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye now. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. I uh, reached uh, Representatives Handy and Briscoe on Friday. Uh, they are uh, each uh, among the uh, chairs, co-chairs of the Clean Air Caucus. And we heard uh, about some legislation being run this session regarding uh, air quality and uh, climate change. We'll continue this discussion uh, with Thomas Holst with the Chem C. Gardner Policy Institute and Josh Kraft with the Utah Clean Energy following this break. You're listening to Access Utime. Tom Williams. We're talking about air quality and climate change. As you know, the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute, at the request of the Utah legislature, uh, has prepared a Utah roadmap to help legislators make policy to improve air quality and address causes and impacts of a changing climate. So we thought today let's talk with legislators, which we have done, and others uh, to see uh, how, which of these uh, mileposts is being uh, implemented, which uh, perhaps needs to be implemented. Uh, and we'll talk about all of this. Uh, we bring on now uh, Thomas Holst, a senior energy analyst with the Chem C. Gardner Policy Institute. Uh, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Appreciate you being with us. We welcome in also uh, Josh Kraft, government and corporate relations manager with Utah Clean Energy. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. Let me start with you, Josh Kraft. What is Utah Clean Energy? So we are a... Uh, Nonprofit, nonpartisan organization based in Salt Lake City that's been working for uh, just 20 years now, now this year, on uh, the broad range of uh, clean energy, energy efficiency, electric vehicle, climate change work, and also a lot of uh, work at our, our public utilities work before the Public Service Commission. All right. That's uh, a big Tom, range. Yeah, it is a big range, yes. Uh, Thomas Holtz, uh, tell us about the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute. Uh, yeah, the Gardner Policy Institute is part of the David Eccles School of Business. It focuses on economics, uh, demographics, and qualitative research, including surveys, but then it has specific areas related to real estate, tourism, health sciences, and energy, and I'm the energy analyst at the Institute. And the Utah Roadmap, this, this was, as we've been saying, at the request of Utah Legislature, right? Uh, that, that's correct. Uh, the, the legislature took two actions that have guided uh, the Gardner Policy Institute. In 2018, House Concurrent Resolution 7 was passed, which called for Utah to prioritize its understanding and use of sound science to address causes of changing climate. And then in 2019, funds were appropriated for a review of air quality and changing climate research. This was known as the Utah Roadmap, and it highlighted seven strategies or mileposts as first areas of focus. 
so maybe we could start with, uh, 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 to me, the headline, uh, objectives uh, by 2050 of uh, reducing pollutant emissions by 50% and carbon emissions by 80%. Yeah. Uh, Milepost 1 calls for adoption of emissions reductions goals, and that is a, uh, a critical threshold for legislators to come to agreement on. And as you have heard, uh, Representative Handy is sponsoring House Concurrent Resolution 5, which encourages statewide emissions reduction goals. And then uh, Representative Ray Ward of Bountiful has sponsoring a bill encouraging the use of clean and renewable energy. I've, I view both of those uh, potential legislations as being supportive of Milepost 1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let me turn uh, back uh, to Josh Kraft, uh, Utah Clean Energy. Uh, I'm... I'm th- well, I've been reading that Utah Clean Energy supports the Utah roadmap. Is that the case? Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, so, uh, what? And, it, I, I mean, I think. Yes. I I would just add that there, in addition to what Tom talked about, and I think there's increasing interest from um, our Utah policymakers in the potential for, you know, clean energy and climate solutions and being a leader there. That the, the roadmap. Um, also includes uh, some notable work on a transition to electric vehicles and then transition to um, some for some of our energy producing communities as the energy market changes. So it's a pretty broad, uh, pretty broad look at things. How uh, Utah can play a role. Yeah, we'll get into some of the specifics as we go along, including legislation. Um, Thomas Holst, um, uh, uh, you're quoted in a, in a UPR story, one of our own stories. This was last year when, when this was getting going. Uh, you said this is uh, Utah's a red state. Uh, you know, many states have adopted uh, goals and targets, the West Coast and East Coast. And I, I believe that this, if Utah Roadmap is adopted, this, this would be uh, first, at least at this scale, for a red state. There are many states uh, that have adopted targets, and we are hoping that, uh, that Utah legislators can come to consensus on how they want to plan for a sustainable future. And, um, yeah, I see a lot of support from the representatives to uh, move in that direction. And uh, there was a comment to that story, which indicates probably some of our audience is, is thinking, you know, uh, who, who cares if a red state, blue state, uh, we ought to be adopting these uh, <laughs> uh, st- and maybe even more stringent standards. Uh, for example, this commenter says, uh, how many years ago could Utah have enacted California emission standards? Uh, but I think what you were referring to there, Thomas Holst, you know, without getting too deep into politics, um, was, I guess, an acknowledgment that we can only go as fast as the, the politics of the state will allow us. Yeah, I believe that, uh, that sustainability and having a clean climate is a nonpartisan issue. Unfortunately, it has been polarized, but I believe that, um, yeah, uh, legislators will find common ground and uh, mark a path forward. 
Judge Kraft, I want to have you uh, comment on the politics of this. And, well, let me start with this. How best can people influence their legislators? If you if you believe we ought to be going faster than this, um, you know, well, how I can get to your I legislators. I'll, I'll just say, yeah, Tom, I'll just add that to, to Tom Hulse's comment that, you know, we last fall, we um, worked with a number of groups to launch the Utah Climate and Clean Air Compact. And I think that's over 150 leaders of politicians, local government, businesses, faith leaders, higher education leaders, and including the president of Utah State University, uh, showing that, you know, for, for Utah to forge a conservative but pragmatic and compassionate response to climate change. And I'll just say that I think that there's a lot of interest in forging a path. Um, and, I mean, we look forward to working with this governor. And I think just, I mean, the state continues to be where we'll make the most fundamental decisions around energy, around how our communities are planned. And uh, I'll just say, I know it sounds humble, but calling and texting your legislators, uh, your governor, uh, your and your local city council members and your mayor, just to sort of say that climate solutions, uh, clean energy, air quality are a priority. They really do. It really does make a difference. And, and we've seen that you know, air quality has become one of the top concerns of, of Utah residents. You feel that. Um, and if we do the, the similar thing, just continue to outreach, um, find common ground, I think we're going to see climate and clean energy continue to go up the, the level of concern of our, of our policymakers and decision makers. Um, so tell me a little bit more about the uh, Utah Climate and Clean Air Compact. Yeah, uh, it, it was um, a, a number of uh, uh, we, you know, there was a, a steering committee, a number of leaders um, from Science Bank, Gardner Company, uh, Love Communications, and, and uh, the Women's Leadership Institute that was interested in finding a way to have Utah show its leadership uh, on climate and air quality after the release of the, the um, Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute's Utah Roadmap came out. Uh, we had a launch event in the fall, virtually, of course, given the pandemic, where we had, uh, again, about a, over um, 120 leaders join us in signing a declaration that supported the roadmap and called for six principles uh, around um, action on climate change and air quality, recognizing that there is a link to public health and the future of our economic health uh, of our communities, given our changing climate. There is Utah is a state that has tremendous um, renewable energy and clean energy assets that can be an opportunity for us over the next century to be a leader and energy producer. And then finally, though, that we need to recognize that a lot of communities, particularly communities in rural Utah, um, may have challenges during this transition. They have opportunities, but also challenges, and we need to support them and sustain them with investment and uh, our, our listening. And so that's that's sort of where that that went. And I think it's, again, a signal of where Utah can play nationally in this what has been a polarizing discussion around climate. But as Tom was saying, it doesn't we don't see that it needs to be it. it there's a room for conservative, liberal, um, middle of the road perspectives on, on these on these challenges. And to the point of uh, rural Utah um, tomorrow. Uh, on the program, we'll be talking about oil and gas leases, you know, somewhat related, and we'll be talking with Senator Ronald Winterton, Republican from Roosevelt, to be hearing some of the concerns of rural Utah and oil-producing areas of the state. 
Um, so uh, let me turn back to uh, Thomas Holst. Um, uh, tell me about uh, some of the other mileposts in the on the Utah roadmap. Uh, what, what are we? Uh, what is the Utah yeah. roadmap uh, targeting? Yeah, um, milepost two talks about state government leading by example, and this is an interesting uh, milepost. It encourages Utah state government to convert its vehicle fleet to low-carbon fuels, adopt energy efficiency goals in state buildings, and establish uh, teleworking targets. Now, with respect to teleworking, let me add that when the Utah Roadmap was released in January 2020, no one foresaw that teleworking would become the norm nationally and locally, and the impacts on air quality along the Wasatch Front were immediately noticeable. Uh, Through the first three quarters of 2020, the number of bad air days in Salt Lake County dropped uh, uh, below uh, uh, 20-year averages, and when people telework, automobile tailpipe emissions drop, and uh, there are benefits that can be derived, and this milepost calls on state government to, to help and to lead, lead the way. And I, I would like to just mention in passing, uh, Tom, that uh, the uh, Governor uh, Spencer Cox's uh, roadmap that was released on the 19th of this year in his economic advancement session. Uh, section. He, he talks about the need for sustainable growth promotion, and he, he actually embraces some of those targets that are in milepost two. Hmm. Uh, so uh, <clears throat> tell me about the next uh, milepost. Mm-hmm. Uh, milepost three is create a premier air quality changing climate solutions laboratory, and Two components of this milepost exist. The first calls for improving emissions inventories and the monitoring network. And this uh, supports the regulatory role of the Department of Environmental Quality. The second component of milepost three focuses on advancing new technologies and convening entrepreneurs and experts to innovate. And this is a, an encouragement for uh, members of the scientific community, venture capitalists, uh, sponsors of the Clean Energy Fund to come together and support technology development within the state of Utah. And uh, once again, I, I noticed that in uh, the economic advancement uh, section, uh, released uh, in one Utah roadmap by Governor Spencer Cox, he talks specifically about innovation and entrepreneurship in the great state of Utah. If you just joined us, uh, we're talking with Thomas Holst, uh, Senior Energy Analyst with the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute. The uh, Gardner uh, Institute uh, released a Utah roadmap on uh, climate change and uh, air quality and uh, at the request of the legislature. Uh, we talked earlier in the program with a couple of legislators on uh, bills, specific bills implementing uh, portions of the roadmap. We're also talking with Josh Kraft, Government and Corporate Relations Manager with Utah Clean Energy. 
Uh, Josh Kraft, um, before we go on and review some of the other mileposts in, in the roadmap, uh, I want to first talk about uh, kind of the mix of uh, how how we arrive at, uh, you know, cleaner energy, uh, reduced emissions, um, better air quality, a better response to climate change. Um, and uh, Representative, uh, asked Representative Handy what the role of government was, and he says the uh, first is to acknowledge climate change, second, to uh, provide a vision. Uh, so, uh, of course, another role of government can be, um, you know, providing penalties, enforcing some of this. Um, that might be necessary but not sufficient, right? I'm, what I'm getting at is uh, everybody, everybody has to participate, right? That's right. And, and I mean, I think that we are, um, you know, we do have to do a lot of significant things uh, to substantially reduce uh, emissions. And those include, um, you know, switching to zero emissions electricity resources, uh, that will help us to, um, re- you know, make it easier to reduce emissions from uh, our transportation systems when we electrify those, as well as electrify at least a, lo- a fair amount of our heating and cooling systems and, uh, and, and other transportation systems, and then find ways to continue to make our buildings more efficient, in a lot of cases, um, net zero energy. So we're super insulation, some on-site renewables, um, paired with energy storage, it's a, it's a fair amount of work, and it will require investment. It will uh, require that we help folks uh, make decisions that um, will reduce their energy costs, but may require some some investment on their behalf. And I think that you know I, I would just put it in mind, although this shift is 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 significant, it's very different from some of the energy systems we've seen in the 20th century. Will that the market is is moving in this direction, particularly when you look at uh, new renewable energy resources uh, and electric vehicles. Their their costs are uh, at or below that of um, traditional alternatives uh, today because of the market and some of the investments we've made in the past. Energy storage systems, our uh, batteries in particular, are starting to catch up. And if we continue to invest, send the right signals. Uh, and and then um, to some extent, as you mentioned, um, put a put a, a nationally it would be great to put a price on carbon to help uh, these trends continue. But um, it will require a lot of work and engagement. But we also see that you know the the economics are make this possible to do it relatively quickly and without raising um, costs for for most customers. I want to talk a little bit more about electric vehicles. Uh, you, uh, I read recently that General Motors had set a target. I, I, I don't, I can't remember what it was, twenty fifty or something, um, where, where they would no longer sell twenty thirty five. Twenty thirty five. Wow, earlier than I remembered. Uh, they would no longer sell gasoline powered vehicles, right? Um, so that that's yes. an indication. I want. My question is, uh, when and how do we achieve critical mass with uh, with adoption of electric vehicles? I- yeah, I mean, I think that you're seeing, you know, the the car majors and even some of the the larger oil companies embracing electric vehicles. Uh, given that the um, we're seeing a lot of investment um, and and cost effective investment in charging systems, we're seeing a lot of interest in customers in electric vehicles, and we're seeing the costs of um, lithium ion batteries that go into the cars continue to fall pretty rapidly. My 
what I've generally seen is that by mid-century, um, uh, a, an electric passenger vehicle will be the same costs as a traditional gasoline engine car. And I think that's where you're going to start to see things start to pick up pretty significantly. And we're over the next two years, we're going to see a lot more models go into place. We will, you know, have to make sure that uh, we're, we're making sure that um, there are EV op- options available to all customer classes. Um, there's going to be a large use market, but uh, it's just coming into fruition. Uh, we'll need to continue to plan for and invest in um, charging infrastructure, not only for cars, but for buses and fleets. And also, and, and finally, I think we need to be avoid putting arbitrary fees on uh, electric vehicles that may be too high that would discourage customers, kind of a perennial debate uh, in, in states, um, as, but at the same time, find ways to fund our transportation systems, because it will be a change as we shift away gradually, we think, um, from, the, from gasoline cars. In fact, to your, uh, one of your last points there on the website, utahcleanenergy.org, uh, you're encouraging people to oppose House Bill 209. Yeah, that, that would be uh, uh, HB 209 uh, vehicle uh, registration fee revisions would really hike electric vehicle fees this year really substantially and plug in hybrid electric vehicles to when the for EVs would go from $120 as an annual fee to $300 um, this year to $300 next year. And according to our research, that'd be the highest electric vehicle fee in the nation. It's an added fee at the time that you re-register your vehicle. Um, yeah, and then while there certainly are so, some customers who will, you know, not blink when they have to pay this, there, there's a substantial market of, you know, used lease, uh, used uh, volts, um, you know, that low and moderate income customers will, you know, will, will be purchasing. And to have them pay a higher, that high fixed fee doesn't seem to make, doesn't make sense to us as electric vehicle adoption. It's, it's still perhaps 2% or a little less of new car sales. So it's, it's a, they're a small fraction of the cars on our road, even though interest is growing a, a lot. And just that just seems premature for us to, to make the hiking fees in that way. Uh, Tom Solst, I want to hear uh, about maybe a couple more mileposts in the Utah roadmap. And uh, are you aware of uh, any other legislation that's happening implementing directly Utah roadmap? Um. Yeah, first of all, I would say uh, milepost five of the Utah Roadmap uh, talks about positioning Utah as a market-based EV state. And I believe at the time that we, we formulated that, we were trying to address the issue of uh, Utahns having access to electric vehicles and now with the, as you mentioned, uh, Tom, the announcement by uh, GM CEO Mary Barra that the entire vehicle fleet of General Motors would go to EV by 2035, I believe that some of those worries um, are alleviated. I believe that uh, uh, electric vehicles will gain momentum. I, I noted uh, that uh, Tesla uh, has the um, a market capitalization of the next seven or the seven leading um, 
U.S. automobile manufacturers combined. So there is, within the industry, there is a move towards electric vehicles, and that's, that's gratifying to see. Um, the, the one other uh, milepost that I'd just like to bring to your attention, and uh, that is provide economic transition assistance to rural communities, the Gardner Institute has uh, initiated what we call a coal country strike team, and it focuses on Carbon and Emory counties, and its uh, objective is to help those counties uh, transform and to f create jobs in industries that will benefit those two counties. And so that is ongoing. And, uh, yeah, I, I, we're optimistic. Uh, the program is now in its second year, and it is moving forward with the help of local leadership. Mm. So that's cold country. Uh, any talk of uh, economic assistance down the road for oil and gas country? Um, yes. I see that uh, there we're talking um, Uinta and Duchesne counties. I have heard of talk uh, with other counties in the southern part of the state, but I think uh, all counties, all rural counties, uh, need to have focus, need to have uh, assistance. And as uh, we move away from a carbon economy, um, I believe that those counties will be willing to and be receptive to help and to help them uh, develop their, their economic futures. Mm -hmm. well, let's take another break, and we'll come back with our last segment. Uh, we're talking with Thomas Holt, Senior Energy Analyst with Chem C. Gardner Policy Institute, and Josh Kraft, Government and Corporate Relations Manager with Utah Clean Energy. We'd love to get your comment or questions uh, for these gentlemen on this topic of air quality and climate change, and specifically the Utah Roadmap, which has been developed by the Gardner Policy Institute uh, to guide the Utah legislature. And we're talking about legislation as well in this session of the legislature. More following this. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about uh, climate change, uh, clean air, um, and we're talking specifically about the Utah Roadmap that was commissioned by the Utah Legislature and the Chem C. Gardner Policy Institute with the assistance of a 37-person technical advisory committee prepared that roadmap uh, to help legislators make policy to improve air quality and address causes and impacts of a changing climate. Earlier in the program, we talked with Representatives Stephen Handy, Republican from Layton, and Representative Joel Briscoe, Democrat from Salt Lake City. Each of uh, those gentlemen is uh, one of the co-chairs of the Utah Clean Air Caucus. Uh, we're talking right now with Thomas Holst, Senior Energy Analyst with Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute, and Josh Kraft, Government and Corporate Relations Manager with Utah Clean Energy. You can get your question or comment to us uh, for this program uh, through our webs uh, for, through our email upraccess at gmail dot com upraccess at uh, gmail dot com. Uh, so, Josh Kraft, uh, uh, tell us about other legislation we may not have uh, mentioned that we should keep our eye on with the, the Utah Legislature this session. Well, uh, uh, I I we I don't know if you talked about this already with Representative Briscoe, but we are working with him on um, HB two sixty three, which would establish a clean energy fund, and it would work as a, a nonprofit uh, financial 
uh, institution that would provide low interest financing to um, clean energy technologies, renewable energy, energy efficiency, um, some some versions of electric vehicles, um, and maybe some other technologies to help them scale up access to a traditional financing from from a traditional bank or other lenders uh, tends to be unavailable because folks aren't necessarily familiar with uh, financing, you know, emerging energy technologies. Um, and uh, but these are usually they're proven. We know how to use them. They tend to have high upfront costs, but a lot of um, benefits. Uh, those are everything from solar on our roofs to um, new energy storage systems. Um, and we're, we're, uh, we want to work with an entity that would help to the market to scale up these technologies, get them into the, the hands of customers and businesses here in Utah and help the clean energy industry that we have, which is robust and growing. Um, we're also hearing on this front that that um, the Congress and President Biden are likely to provide seed capital for these state-run, you know, market-focused uh, clean energy funds. And so there's an opportunity to leverage some national public money in a way that helps Utah communities and, and clean energy businesses. And so that was introduced last week, and we're, we're working with stakeholders to, to get support, uh, and we hope to pass something this, this legislative session. Very good. Uh, Thomas Holst, um, I believe that uh, as part of this roadmap or some of these recommendations talk about uh, more public transportation, right? Handling increased uh, population uh, that way. Uh, Energy efficient housing options. We've talked a little bit about that as well. Preservation of open space. Um, so, so some of these, um, you know, it, it's it's a it's a wide encompassing uh, roadmap. Um, I wonder if you, if you just talk in general, uh, if the Utah legislature was to fully enact the, the, the complete roadmap, um, uh, I assume you would say this, this would have a, a really big effect. Uh, most importantly, I would say it would encompass not only um, the population that lives along the Wasatch Front, but it would also take into account the rural communities. And uh, I think uh, the, the roadmap uh, highlights the need for to develop investments and partnerships in energy transition counties such as Carbon Emory, Millard, Uinta, Duchesne, Sevier, and San Juan counties. So uh, the, the roadmap is, in fact, uh, all-encompassing. Um, if I could just go back and uh, refer to something that perhaps your earlier guest, Representative Steve Handy, mentioned. Uh, Representative Handy sits on the board of the Point of the Mountain State Land Authority, and they have oversight of the development of the footprint that will eventually be vacated by the Utah State Prison. And one of the uh, items in the governor's uh, uh, direction is to develop an innovation district at Point of the Mountain. And uh, I believe that uh, would be complemented by uh, Representative Briscoe's Clean Energy Fund because its, its goal is to bring together innovators and entrepreneurs, and it would help Utah innovators um, 
move their technologies forward. And so, yes, I, I agree with you, Tom. It would be all-encompassing, and it would uh, include not only uh, Wasatch Front residents, but also rural. Just Kraft, to return to you again. Um, I assume that the measures which would in, which would help with climate change also help with air quality, right? Uh, are are there maybe more urgent measures that you would like to see taken to address air quality right now? I think that I mean I I, I continue to think that you know we well we need to invest in technology so we can retrofit our homes and our buildings. Um, that area sources are a tremendous uh, oppor- opportunity to reduce our emissions, increasingly the biggest. So ways in which we can work with the, the federal government to invest in low-income weatherization, energy-efficient buildings, um, electrifying heating systems will be really important. We think the Clean Energy Fund will play an important role in that. I'll also you know, give a, give a shout-out to the um, you know, Governor Cox's budget, which would include funding for, you know, to help expand FrontRunner, um, that, that's an important way to reduce um, vehicle miles traveled and reduce emissions, as well as um, the investments they're proposing and the legislature has proposed to uh, invest in uh, EV charging infrastructure in rural uh, areas of rural Utah that are outside of Rocky Mountain Power Service territory. Those are things that we can do this year uh, and, and in the near term that we think will not only you know, they'll, they'll improve quality of life, they'll improve air quality, they'll help with climate. In a lot of cases, particularly we're looking at our the stuff we do in our homes and our buildings um, right now, there are ways in which we can, you know, help create economic opportunity, jobs for folks who, who in, in construction and other industries um, that, you know, we, we need to do that work, but there's also a way to help save customers and create economic opportunity there if we we do the right investments. And again, there's there's some folk, some of that will come from the state level, but we think partnership also with the national level um, is, is a critical piece of finding resources that we can invest in and, you know, improve air quality, improve, uh, you know, and improve the, you know, and then reduce the risk of climate change. We just have a couple minutes left. Uh, I'd like to uh, go to each of you uh, for just one minute. To your, what you would like listeners to take away from our discussion here. Uh, Thomas Holst, what's, what's the top takeaway? Um, that measures that we take to reduce air pollution also reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and those measures that we're talking about are reduce our dependency on automobiles, improve the energy energy efficiency within our uh, workspaces and our our living spaces. And then um, we believe that advancing uh, green tech or clean tech solves both air quality issues as well as it reduces greenhouse gas emissions. And so uh, we believe that there are solutions that are uh, common to alleviating both air quality problems and changing climate problems. And uh, we'll give the last word, the final takeaway uh, from um, Josh Kraft. Yeah, I'll just say that I, we, we think there's, there's economic opportunity in climate and clean energy solutions. And I think that folks... Uh, may still not realize that clean energy is increasingly 
cheap energy, and uh, whether it's solar, wind, electric vehicles, um, energy efficiency, new, super efficient heating systems. That there, that these are these are measures. If we if we take the right uh, steps, if we collaborate and scale up markets, that there's there's tremendous opportunity to be made. And um, you know now is the time to invest, and it will it will help Utah. It's we are we are a state that has so many clean energy assets, um, and so there's a huge economic opportunity um, as we act to to you know create jobs and. Um, innovation here in our in our wonderful state very good we got an email here at the end uh, uh this is lara north logan could you please uh, post a list of the bills referenced in today's program with a brief description of each so we can keep them straight this would be helpful in speaking with our representatives to promote the changes your guests are suggesting so gentlemen if you if you'd send me just any bill that you referenced if you send me brief information on that we can post that Appreciate that. We have a bill tracker. We'd love to do that. Okay, Thank great, you. great. Thank you. Um, so uh, thanks uh, to each of you. Uh, Thomas Holst is a senior energy analyst with Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Josh Kraft is a government and corporate relations manager with Utah Clean Energy. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, tomorrow we'll be talking about uh, the uh, President Biden's executive order placing an indefinite moratorium on new leases for oil and gas development of federal lands. We'll be talking with Senator Ronald Winterton, Republican from uh, Roosevelt. He represents a swath of northeastern Utah and oil and gas country. And uh, we'll also be talking with Steve Block from Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance and the writer uh, Jim Robbins, who's written on this topic for Yale Environment 360 magazine. Hope you'll join us tomorrow, and thanks for listening today.